Y'all guessed from my cup placement. Oh. I'm going to teach you tonight. I really thought this was what I was going to preach uh, for the regular morning service this morning, but evidently the Lord had other plans. <coughs> and, and that's fine. That's fine. Uh, we'll still be in the Gospel of John tonight, in chapter 21. Uh, we went uh, John chapter 20 twice today. And uh, I don't know if we'll go through the whole chapter tonight or not, but uh, looking around, everybody here claims to be saved, and I hope that everybody is. Only you and the Lord know that for certain. Now, as Sandy was just speaking about, uh, you know, it's uh, you know we we get hints. We uh, you can normally tell because the Spirit bears witness. Uh, the Spirit will bear witness one with another, and uh, so you know we can we can generally tell. Uh, tell that however and the bible confirms it and jesus talk, christ talked about it himself that they these goats mixed in with the sheep and these Amen. tares mixed in with the wheat uh, and the good lord will separate those one day it's it's not our job to judge who's who uh, uh, you know the word of god judges us the word of god condemns us uh, you know the, the scripture has condemned all is what paul wrote to the galatian church uh, but like I said, everybody, everybody here tonight claims to be Christian, and I hope that everybody is, and everybody's uh, shown forth evidence of that. So this is a good lesson to teach. Actually, it's on servitude. Uh, it's it's on, on serving, and Jesus Christ is teaching the disciples uh, here about servitude in John chapter twenty-one. Now the rest of the Gospels. Uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they, they pretty much end with the crucifixion of Christ and his resurrection. Now, uh, there are extras that go along with it, like in Matthew's gospel. I mean, you know, we, we have Jesus, and he meets up with them. And, and uh, the end of Mark's gospel, Jesus meets up with them uh, just before the ascension. The end of Luke's gospel, actually, uh, in some of the old Greek, uh, uh, Greek manuscripts, uh, Luke's gospel goes straight into the book of Acts, and, and which is which is great because that's where uh, Luke's gospel ends, right before the ascension. The book of Acts begins right at the ascension of Jesus Christ, and Luke wrote both of those books. Um, so yeah, there's a few extras, but John's got a really interesting extra chapter in his gospel, uh, chapter twenty-one. And it, and it talks about servitude, and it's just like I, I preached about Mary this morning. If you if you think about it, while we go through it uh, this evening, uh, you know, Mary she had to be shown some things. Her faith her faith was tried. Mary Magdalene, her faith was tried, uh, uh, and Jesus had had to show her who uh, who he was. And had to, and he and once once he reestablished that with her, then he sent her forth to serve, and he does the same thing with these disciples here, in John chapter twenty one. So keep all that in mind uh, as we read this. We're going to do at least uh, at least fourteen verses of it. We may go on through the whole chapter. There's only another ten or eleven verses to finish off the chapter and finish off the Gospel of John. Uh, but uh, something important, and I read it this morning. And didn't really uh, expound a whole lot or preach or preach on it at all. But the last two verses uh, uh, of John chapter twenty says, "And many other signs truly did Jesus in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book." Mm -hmm. uh, you know, there's things that Jesus did 
but it specifies in the presence of his disciples, not amongst the crowds, not, uh, not amongst the Pharisees or the Sadducees, not in people's houses, unless just the disciples were there. But it says they're not written in this book, and it says, but these are written, the ones that we know of. The ones that we have here within the pages of Scripture, and in particular with this line within the Gospel of John, uh, it says, But these are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. Not that we can perform miracles ourselves. Not that we can work wonders ourselves. Now listen, hey, I'm all for the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Y'all should know that by now. I believe the gifts of the Holy Spirit, I do. But these things are not written that we can necessarily perform those wonders and perform those works and do those things. These things are written that we can believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And that anyone can believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. That's why they're written. And I know that because the Word of God tells me that. So we've got to keep those things in mind. And that believing you might have life through his name. That leads us up to chapter 21 and verse 1. It says, After these things, Jesus shewed himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias. And on this wise shewed, shewed he himself. This is oddly, oddly phrased. Mm. Why is that? Jesus Christ was resurrected at this point. It says, after these things, after what things? Everything that I preached about in the sunrise service this morning, everything I preached about in the regular morning service this morning, after those things. But it says Jesus Christ shewed himself. He showed himself to his disciples. He was resurrected. In chapter 20, we read where the, the disciples, they were all gathered together, the eleven because uh, uh, Matthias hadn't been chosen yet to replace Judas Iscariot. That don't happen until the book of Acts. But uh, uh, they were gathered together, and it says Jesus appeared. He appeared, and the, and the scripture specifies the door was shut. He just appeared before them. He shooed himself to his disciples. He wanted them to see him. At this point, or, or before the crucifixion, Jesus Christ didn't do that. He had a physical body. Now listen, he had a physical body here, yes, but he had power now. He could appear and disappear anytime he wanted to. Don't you think when the mobs of people were coming after him, and it says Jesus Christ had to weave in and out of the mobs to get away from them, that, that you know, if he could have, he could have just snapped his fingers, disappeared, and reappeared somewhere else in the world. But here he shows himself to his disciples. He wanted them to see him. He wanted them to. Before the crucifixion, he didn't do that. He was just like me and just like you. If he fell asleep in one place, somebody walked in that room, they saw him laying there. If he was walking down the street, they saw him. Everybody saw him. But here he had power to appear and disappear. He wanted the disciples. He wanted them out there on that lake to see him. Now, where is the Sea of Tiberias? It's the Sea of Galilee. If you read John chapter 6, the very first verse will tell you the Sea of Tiberias is the Sea of Galilee. So there's no difference in the seas there. Uh, John chapter 6 verse 1 will tell you that. But they're out there on the sea. Why were they there? Why were they on the Sea of Galilee? Why were they in Galilee anyway? If you turn to Matthew chapter 28, you'll see where the women went to the sepulcher. Again, that's Matthew's account. Not just Mary Magdalene, but it says that the women went to the sepulcher to, to, to anoint the body of Jesus and to, to embalm basically the body of Jesus, take care of it. The women went there and Jesus sent the women to tell the disciples 
that Jesus Christ had risen. He, he, sent, he sent a group of them to tell the disciples uh, that, that he was indeed ridden. And it, but the message was, tell them, actually it wasn't Jesus, it was an angel, wasn't it, that told the women that. I'm getting my gospels confused. But anyway, the, uh, it said, uh, they were told to tell the disciples, go into Galilee and he'll meet you there. Go into Galilee and he'll show himself to you there. That's why they were in Galilee to begin with. Because Jesus Christ, there was a promise given by angels that Jesus Christ would meet them there. So that's why they were here. Now what, were they, what, were, what did they do once they got there? We're about to read it. We're about to read it. They got bored. They got, they, they got bored. They got anxious. They got everything. They were together, or, or there, there were together Simon Peter and Thomas called Didymus and Nathaniel, Nathaniel of Cana and Galilee and the sons of Zebedee and two other of his disciples. We've got seven people here. Seven people. Now notice that the order that they're listed in. You don't see this order again in the Gospels. This is the only time they're listed in this particular order. I don't know for certain. I think they're, but me personally, now this is Spencer, this ain't Bible, this is my personal opinion. I think they're ordered in measure of grace. Peter receiving the most of that grace. Why? Peter denied the Lord three times. He's the only one in scripture that we saw. Now listen, the chapter before this, Thomas said, I will not believe. They never denied the existence of the Lord, never denied that he knew the Lord, never denied anything like that. But Thomas did say, I will not believe unless I thrust my hand in his side, unless I put my finger through the holes in his hand. In the chapter right before this, I, I said, this is just me. I think they're ordered in measure of grace. John is listed last in, in, uh, in, in this. The sons of Zebedee. We know two other disciples. We don't know which disciples it was. But John was one of the sons of Zebedee. Uh, James and John were. So, uh, uh, but it says Peter and Thomas, the son, uh, and Thomas called Did Didymus, Nathaniel of Cana and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other of his disciples. Simon Peter saith unto them, go fishing I'm tired of waiting they said he would be here he's not mm -hmm. I go a fishing what was Peter's trade fisherman. he was a fisherman Peter was going right back to what God called him out of mm -hmm. Jesus Christ in Luke chapter 5 you'll read this account mm -hmm. Jesus Christ was on the sea there was a mob of people coming mm -hmm. after him and there were men that were right there at the edge of the water. Jesus Christ stepped into one of those boats. Mm -hmm. He said, push out from the land just a little ways. Just a little ways to get me. And he didn't do that to get away from the crowd. He did that so the sound of his voice would bounce off the water. And everybody that was present could hear him. You ever been out on the lake late at night? When there's very few planes going by, no cars on the highway behind you. You can hear somebody on an island a half a mile out in the lake. You can hear their conversation because it's bouncing across the water. Jesus Christ did not shove out from the land to get away from the crowd. He wanted the crowd to hear what he had to say. But that was Peter's boat. That was Peter's boat. Now you keep that in mind as we read this account because it goes hand in hand with what we're going to go over tonight. 
It goes hand in hand with every bit of Simon Peter saith unto him, I go a fishing. He went right back to where God had called him out of, where Jesus Christ himself had said, from now on you're not going to catch, catch fish. From henceforth you shall be fishers of men. He went right back to what Jesus had called him out of. He went right back to what Jesus said, you're not going to do this anymore. Now listen, I ain't saying it's sinful to go fishing. I'm saying Peter never had a commission in this passage of scripture from God to go fishing. What was he supposed to be doing? Fishing for men. Mm -hmm. He was supposed to be fishing for men. But he went out on the water fishing for fish. Fishing for fish. And now listen, and I've heard it taught just like this. He was trying to, he was expecting the Lord to come. And so he went out on the water to catch fish to make a meal for the Lord. Folks, you don't take a big fishing vessel out on the water, cast nets over the side to make a meal for just a few people. You don't do that. You don't catch, you'll read later on in this scripture, 153 fish. You don't have a net that size for, for seven people plus Jesus Christ, for eight people altogether. You don't need 153 fish for that. Mm-hmm. Peter had gone back to what he was doing before. Shame on Peter and shame on us for doing the same thing. Mm-hmm. Simon Peter saith unto them, I go a fishing. They say unto him, we also go with thee. Every one of them was fishermen. Yeah. That's what they done. And that's one of the most amazing thoughts of this whole thing. Jesus Christ could have come. He could have come and specifically called kings to follow him. He could have come and specifically called the Pharisees, those, those that were looked upon by the Jews as, as great and holy and separated uh, and consecrated unto God. He could have called anybody, but he went to these lowly fishermen. You know, you know who the... the the only way he could have really went lower as far as occupation went was gone to the prostitutes and went to shepherds. Mm-hmm. David was a shepherd in the Old Testament. Yeah, Jew, Jew, uh, that, was, that was a lowly thing for Jews. It was a lowly thing for Egyptians. It was a lowly trade to be a shepherd, to be a watcher of, of critters, of animals. But he went to these fishermen, smelly, stinky, nasty, good-for-nothing fishermen. And he went to them and he said, follow me. He went to a tax collector named <laughs> Levi. One that was despised by the Jews and despised by the Roman government, all the same. He went to him and said, follow me. He went to the ones that were persecuted, the ones that were hated, the ones that nobody cared about. And he told them, follow me. He went to these fishermen. And every one of them here, when Simon Peter says, I go a fishing, every one of them said, hey, I'm all for that. I'm just as anxious as you are. I'm just as bored as you are. We might as well do something. Let's go out here and do what we know how to do. Keep that in mind. Let's do what we know how to do. They say unto him, we also go with thee. They went forth and entered into a ship immediately. And that night, they caught nothing. These fishermen, that's all they've done their entire lives outside of these three years they had spent with Jesus Christ and his ministry. That's all they knew was fishing. And that night they caught nothing. But when the morning was now come, now we've gone from night to morning. When the morning was now come, Jesus stood on the shore. But the disciples knew not that it was Jesus. What's that remind you? It reminds me of John chapter 20 from this morning. Mary Magdalene thought Jesus Christ was the gardener. She didn't recognize him. She was that tore up. These disciples were that tore up. And they were that anxious. 
Folks, it ain't no different than Luke's account. Luke's account, Jesus Christ walking on that, uh, hooks up with those two disciples on the road to Emmaus. Mm -hmm. They had their heads down. Their countenance was falling. Everything about them was distraught because they didn't have faith in the resurrection. They didn't have faith in what Jesus said. They didn't have faith that he was going to come back. And here's Jesus walking along with them. It ain't no different right here in John chapter 21. It says, Jesus stood on the shore, and it was morning. Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples knew not that it was Jesus. Then Jesus saith unto them, Children, have ye any meat? They answered him, No. He forced a confession out of them. Mm -hmm. Have you any meat? You're out there doing what, what, what you've done all your life. You're doing this thing that you know exactly where to go in this sea. They'd fished that water all their lives. They knew where the fish would be. They knew how to catch them. They knew how, how deep to drop their nets. They knew how to, how to corral the fish to a certain area. They knew all this about these waters because that's the only waters they had ever fished. And he forced a confession. You've put forth all this effort all night long. Your own effort. Your own work. And you've done nothing. He forced that confession out of them. When the Holy Ghost got a hold of me, it forced a confession. It forced me to confess that I was wrong and that God was right. That I've been wrong for 33 years of my life. That's how old I was when I got saved. That I've been wrong all that time. And it forced me. It forced me to either say, yes, Lord, you're right and I'm wrong. Or to say, I still think I'm right and go on with my hard head and my hard heart. And not let God do anything with it. It forced a confession out of me. Jesus Christ forced a confession out of these fishermen out there on the water. He, he already knew that they didn't have any meat. He knew they hadn't caught any fish. He knew these things. So Jesus saith unto them, Children, have you any meat? They answered him, No. He spoke to them. They still don't know who he is. They just think he's some fella up there on the fish, or up there on the seashore. And he said unto them, Cast the net on the right side of the ship, and you shall find. They cast therefore, and now they were not able to draw it for the multitude of fishes. Mm -hmm. Just like Luke chapter 5. And folks, that's when the calling came. That's when the calling came. You will no longer fish for fish. You will fish for men. And the same thing happened. And Peter told Jesus in Luke chapter 5. Uh, Jesus asked him, he said, have you caught anything? Have you done any good tonight? Are the fish biting, in other words, what, what we would say around here? And Peter said, nope, not a thing. He says, but at your work, Jesus told them, he said, cast over here. And Jesus and Luke, uh, or Luke, Peter, I'm getting all my people mixed up tonight. Peter said, Peter said, we have told all night. We have told all night and not caught a thing. Yet at thy word, at your word, I'm going to do this thing. And they did it. They cast the net over and they drew in so many fish in that net in Luke 5 that the net broke. The net broke with all those fish. He said unto them, casting it on the right side of the ship, and ye shall find. They cast therefore, and now they were not able to draw it for the multitude of fishes. You keep that in mind, because we're going to continue reading. They, they, seven of them, were not able to draw the net because of the multitude of fishes. Therefore, that disciple whom Jesus loved, who's that? John. That's John. In fact, up here, 
in uh, 20, 21 and 2, when he just refers to, him, to himself as the sons of Zebedee, James and John, they were brothers. That's the only time in his gospel he doesn't refer to himself as the disciple whom Jesus loved. Every other time you see John refer to himself, it's the disciple whom Jesus loved. And he did. Jesus loved John greatly. And it goes on to say that at the end of, towards the end of this chapter. It goes on to expound on that, the scripture does. John wasn't bragging when he was writing. It's true. It's true. John was the beloved. And that's why his gospel is called the gospel of love. Uh, but anyway, we won't get into all that. John, John is who we're talking about here, though, in uh, verse 7. Therefore, that disciple whom Jesus loved saith unto Peter, It is the Lord. What I preached this morning. Who got to the tomb first? John did. But he didn't go in. Mm-hmm. John tells Peter, it took John, the disciple whom Jesus loved. It took John with his with with his acute vision and his and his discernment. That's why he's at the bottom of the list of grace here in verse 2. Those who had received more grace than others. Now listen, and y'all, y'all can do with that what you want to. I think that, that that list shows that. Because John had more discernment. He had more belief. He had more faith in Jesus Christ and who Jesus Christ was and what Jesus Christ said he would do and all these other things. That's why I think he's towards the bottom of the list. But he still needed grace. He still needed salvation. He still needed Jesus Christ to give it to him. But it took John to tell Peter, it is the Lord. Therefore, that disciple whom Jesus uh, loved saith to Peter, it is the Lord. Now when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he girded his fisher's coat unto him, for he was naked, and did cast himself into the sea. Just like at the tomb, John got there first, but Peter's the one that took action. John got there first and he stooped down and he peered inside, but Peter was the first one to take action. Peter went past John, he went into the tomb. It ain't no different in this account here. John recognized that it was the Lord. John saw that it was the Lord. He tells Peter, the one that sticks his foot in his mouth, the one that takes actions before he thinks too awful off or too much. He tells Peter, and Peter girts his fisherman's coat about him because he was naked. Folks, you know what that tells me? Peter was not expecting the Lord to show up. Even though the angels had told him, Matthew 28, go to Galilee. Jesus will meet you there. Peter wasn't expecting him to show up. He was out there naked on the boat. And listen, that was a common thing back then. Why, I don't know. I'm glad it ain't now. But he wasn't expecting the Lord to be there. He wasn't expecting him to show up. So he throws a coat on him and he jumps out of the boat. He didn't fall. He didn't trip. Peter wanted to be where Jesus was. And he wasn't going to wait on that boat to get him to land. Peter's the one, when they came and arrested Jesus, Peter's the one that followed afar off. He's the one that, yeah, he warmed himself by the enemy's fire, but he was still trying his best to follow Jesus. That was Peter, and this is Peter here. It's the same Peter doing the same things. He says, that's my Lord. That's Jesus. I want to be where he's at. And he wasn't going to wait on six of his buddies to get him to the shore. 
he forgot about the fish that they had just netted. That this huge multitude of fish, he forgot all about that. He forgot why he was out there. He was out there of his own accord. He was out there of his own flesh, of his own want. He forgot all about that. When he saw Jesus, he said, I want to be in his presence. And Jesus, afar off on the shore, far off, a couple of hundred cubits, far off from the shore, that would have been about 100 yards, or, yeah, 100 yards, about 300 feet. But Jesus was speaking to them afar off. Mm-hmm. Jesus knew exactly where they were at. They saw Jesus, mm-hmm. but it took them a while to figure out who it was. Folks, sometimes we'll stray from the Lord. We'll stray from the word. We'll stray from our prayer life. We'll stray from our devotion. We'll stray from all kinds of things from the Lord. But he's still there afar off. And he's still watching me because I am his own. I belong to him. Jesus knew exactly where Peter was. He knew exactly where these other six were. He knew exactly what they were doing. He knew exactly why they were doing it. He could have left them. He, he could have said, I spent three and a half years trying to teach them, trying to preach to them, trying to show them, and they're still out there doing their own thing. Why, why, why don't they remember the account in Luke 5, which it wasn't Luke 5 then, but why don't they remember that account of the multitude of fish that I caused them to draw in? Folks, this showed his deity. This showed that he is indeed Lord over earth because it wasn't just that this school of fish happened to swim by. Jesus Christ had all power given unto him in heaven and in earth, and he could have caused any school of fish to swim at that time straight into that net. That's what happened. It wasn't coincidence and it wasn't happenstance. It wasn't. Therefore, that disciple whom Jesus loved said unto Peter, Is the Lord. Now, when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he girded his fisher's coat unto him, for he was naked and did cast himself into the sea. And the other disciples came in a little ship, for they were not far from land, but as it were, 200 cubits, dragging the net with fishes. So, like I said, 200. 200 feet offshore, or 200 cubits offshore, which would have been about 300 feet, about the length of a football field. They were offshore. Now listen, they were behind this little ship, Mm -hmm. which would have been called a punt nowadays. It's the one that helped get the netted fish, Mm -hmm. uh, as opposed to the bigger fishing vessels. It was further out than the big vessel was. It says they were behind. In other words, they had cast this net out an area where there shouldn't have been any fish. They had thrown this net out on the right side. They should have been out beyond the punt, beyond the little ship. They should have been further out in the water, but they were closer to the shore than the punt ship was, than the little midget ship was. So Jesus had caused them to catch all these fish, and you read on in the scriptures, 153 of them, He had caused them to catch all these in an area where they shouldn't have done it. In other words, Jesus is telling them, when I tell you to go catch men, I mean go catch men. And and he's teaching them what happens when they do what he tells them to do. He's teaching them servitude and he's teaching them his own guidance. He says, you don't go places to catch men that I don't send you to. You don't preach sermons that I don't give you to go catch men. You do what I say, when I say, and how I say, and this is the result that you'll get. Over there in Luke chapter 5, those fish were not numbered. The neck broke. Mm -hmm. That was a picture of evangelism. 
They were supposed, and they went out for three years. They evangelized. Jesus would send them out. Sometimes he'd send them out just a few at a time. Sometimes he'd send them out 70 at a time. But either way, they were evangelizing then. He's teaching them pastorship. And he's teaching them how, how to teach in this. He's teaching them, you'll have a number. You'll have a specific number. 153 fish were in that net. I ain't even got to my favorite part of that yet. Praise God. The other disciples came in a little ship, for they were not far from land, but as it were, 200 cubits, dragging the net with fishes. As soon as they were come to land, they saw a fire of coals there, and fish laid thereon, and bread. I don't read anything about Jesus having a Zebco 33 and a Daiwa fishing rod out there. How did Jesus feed the multitudes in his miracles? He created extra. We talked about this uh, just a little while ago. Uh, Orville done the offering, as you see, $770 this morning. Roger said, we're going to let Orville take it up more often. I said, praise God, it multiplies like loaves and fish. Hallelujah. That's how Jesus did it, though. Jesus wasn't running out to the banks and catching more fish and tossing them into the baskets. It was a miracle that Jesus wrought with his power and with the power of Almighty God to multiply the loaves and to multiply the fish. Jesus simply created fire he, and he threw these fish on there. This wasn't the fish from the nets that they had caught. They were still dragging them up to the land. Jesus Christ feeding them by a miracle. But what's amazing to me, what's most amazing about that particular account, Jesus Christ, resurrected Savior, had all power in heaven and in earth, was concerned about those men out there on the water and if they had eaten or not. He was concerned about their physical bodies. And he was also concerned about their spiritual state as well. But he was concerned about their physical bodies. Are you hungry? I've got your breakfast here. Now, folks, that don't sound like much breakfast to us, bread and fish. But, hey, that was breakfast of champions back then, and especially for a bunch of fishermen. It wouldn't have bothered them a bit. But Jesus Christ had created the fire of coals, and there was fish already on it, and there was bread there. He had simply made it himself. I don't read nothing about an oven where he could have baked his bread. I don't read nothing about a fishing rod. I don't read nothing about a fishing net that Jesus had here. He simply created it via another miracle. And Jesus wrought. It had to have been that. It had to have been. Jesus saith unto them, Bring of the fish which ye have now caught. Bring the fish which ye have now caught. Simon Peter went up and threw the net, threw the net to land full of great fishes, and hundred and fifty and three, and for all there were so many, yet was not the net broken. Hundred and fifty-three fish. Now, did you catch what we read? Who dragged that net up there? Simon Peter. By whose command? Jesus Christ. All seven of them couldn't get that net earlier. Seven disciples, just a few verses before this, could not lift that net. Yet one man, at the command of Jesus Christ, went down and got that net by himself and dragged it to where Jesus was. That's my favorite part, by the way. One man. But it was because he was doing it as Jesus commanded it. As Christ commanded it. 
he was able to do that. In other words, I could go out here on these street corners and preach till I was blue in the face and not win one soul into Christ. If God tells me to go out there, though, it's because he's got people out there that he knows will be passing by and he knows needs to hear the gospel. Evangelizing, no idea how many souls any preacher has ever won, and they shouldn't know. In a pastor-type situation like I'm in, I should know how many people, approximately anyway, are, are within the congregation. In Luke chapter 5, no idea how many fish was in that net when it broke. But nevertheless, they were caught. Yeah. And this right here, 153, a specified number. A specified number of fish was in there. How many fish are we catching? We don't know in Luke 5, here is 153. And Peter, by himself, was able to lug 153 fish in a net up to where Jesus was because that's what Jesus told him to do. That's when he told him to do it. That's how he told him to do it. The power of one man. In other words, when we do, when we do what Jesus says and when Jesus says it, the power of God could be sevenfold with us because seven of them couldn't drag that net earlier. I'm not saying that's what it will be. I'm just saying, per this scripture, it's a possibility that's, that's very, uh, that very thing could happen. But when we do it outside the way God does, says to do it, folks, we ain't going to have much result. No. We will not have much result. I don't go to bars and preach. Mm -hmm. I don't go to strip clubs and preach. As much as those people need to hear the gospel, I don't do it. Now, if God, if God truly laid it in my heart, you go down wherever Nashville Sound, you go here, you go there, you go to the parking lot, and you just light into a hellfire and brimstone sermon, if God truly laid that on my heart, I would do it. But if I do it of myself, I'm probably going to get beer bottles thrown at me. I'm probably going to have the tar beat out of me. Uh, there's going to be all kinds of bad stuff go down if I do that of myself. I've never been on a street corner that I didn't really and truly feel like that's where God wanted me at that time. Folks, that's a dangerous thing to do. It is dangerous. But now if God puts me there, he's got a reason. And he's got, even if it's for one individual that's never heard the gospel, it's going to be passing by there at a certain time. God's got me or somebody else there to get the gospel into those ears. Anyway, Jesus saith unto them, uh, come and dine. And none of the disciples durst ask him, Who art thou? Knowing that it was the Lord. Come and dine. Not how you been. Not why ain't you up there in the Ramada in Galilee like I told you to be. Not why are you down here fishing? I never told you to do that. Come and dine. That's the last invitation you read in the Gospels of Jesus Christ. Come, come, come. But he says it to his disciples. He says it to those that are already his. He says it to those that he's called. Come and dine. Now I understand Revelation. I understand it says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. Any man that will open up to me, I will come in and sup with him and he with me. I understand all that. That's great, and that's fine, and that's well. I'm talking about a gospel, and I'm talking about invitation after invitation after invitation has been given throughout the pages of these 21 chapters of John. This is the last one that he's given, and it's to his own disciples. Mm -hmm. Come and dine. 
come and dine. None of the disciples durst ask him, who art thou? Knowing that it was the Lord. They knew, every one of them knew at that point. All seven of those knew. Jesus then cometh and taketh bread and giveth them, uh, and giveth them, and fish likewise. And this is now the third time that Jesus shewed himself to his disciples after that he was risen from the dead. Now we know several days had passed at this point. This was only the third time that he had showed himself to his disciples. Now, you go on over to the book of Acts, chapter 1, and you'll read where 40 days, 40 day, for 40 days, Jesus Christ showed himself to the disciples. That doesn't mean he was constantly in their presence. And that doesn't mean that they could constantly see him. That means that it is just as this account was. When Jesus wanted his disciples to see him, they saw him. When he didn't, he disappeared. It was just as this account right here is. Why that 40 days? Folks, they was feasts. In the book of Leviticus, chapter 23, you read about those feasts. Jesus Christ had to wait on the Feast of Pentecost or right before the Feast of Pentecost in order for all that to all come together from the Old Testament that was written 1,500 years before any of this ever happened. There was the Passover feast. There was the Feast of Unleavened Bread, which was seven days. And then there was uh, the Feast of Pentecost. You had to have seven, seven uh, uh, Sabbaths had to pass. And on the evening of that seventh Sabbath, all that, uh, uh, Pentecost, uh, the Feast of Pentecost. Then after that, you had the, the, the Feast of the First Fruits. That's when the wave offering was given. That's when Christ ascended. When Christ ascended, there, it was the day of the wave offering. Jesus Christ went to heaven. And he stood there before God. I don't know that he did that. But the wave offering, that's what the priest did. He would stand before God with whatever was offered, whether it was oil, whether it was bread, whatever it was, that priest would stand there before God in, in the temple or the tabernacle, wherever he was, and he would wave it before God. He would say, God, this is what I'm giving to you. God, this is for you. This is what, what we've done for you. Jesus Christ, hey, he would, have, he would have done that. He would have offered that wave offering himself. Said, this is what I've given. This is what I've done for you. All of it falls perfectly in line. You read the, 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 crucif the crucifixion, the whole Passion Week, the week before Jesus Christ was crucified up to where we're at right now. Every bit of it falls in line with those feasts in Leviticus 23. It's amazing. It's amazing that that happened 1,500 years before Jesus Christ was ever born. Those, the, the, those laws were written. Yet people doubt the Bible. And I was one of them. Now this is the third time Jesus showed himself to his disciples after that he was risen from the dead. Y'all want to keep on going? Praise God. Praise God. We'll finish off the chapter. I enjoy teaching in case you didn't notice. So when they had dined with Jesus, said the so when they had dined, I'm sorry, Jesus saith to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me more than these? Let me ask you, what's the these? Lovest thou me more than these? This is Spencer's opinion. The Bible don't tell us. Jesus could have been talking about the disciples. He could have said, lovest thou me more than these? But what had Peter done right before this? He had dragged a net of fish up there. Peter had left his spot in Galilee. 
had said, I go a fishing. I'm going back to what I was done before. I'm going back to what I've done right before Jesus Christ called me into ministry. I'm going back to all that. I think Jesus Christ had him drag those fish up there. Because he's the one giving commandment and Peter done it all by himself. I think Jesus Christ pointed to that net of fish, maybe waved his hand at him. He may have even been holding them, some of them in his hand and said, lovest thou me more than these? He might have smacked Peter on the nose with one of them. I don't know. But I think he was talking about fish because that's what Peter had left his spot, his designated spot that was spoken by angels to the women to tell the disciples, go to Galilee. Jesus Christ is going to meet you there. He had left his spot to go fishing. So I think it was fish that Jesus was talking about. Well, I said scripture don't say that, but everything that leads up to that points towards fish to me. Lovest thou me more than these? He saith unto him, Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. He saith unto him, Feed my lambs. Let's keep on reading. He saith unto him again the second time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? He saith unto him, Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. He saith unto him, Feed my sheep. He saith unto him the third time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? Uh, Peter was grieved because he said unto him the third time, lovest thou me? And he said unto him, Lord, uh, thou knowest all things. Thou knowest that I love thee. Jesus saith unto him, feed my sheep. That's what makes me think that he is teaching Peter pastorship in this. He is teaching him not only servitude in general, do what I say, when I say, how I say, but he's teaching him pastorship. He begins with feed my lambs. What's the difference between a lamb and a sheep? A lamb's a young one. A sheep's a full grown one. When you read about the lost sheep in the parables that Jesus Christ talked about, he's not talking about lambs. He's talking about full grown sheep that have left the fold. They've gone out there and gotten lost. Hey, it's easy enough for a lamb to do that. But for a sheep to do that, shame on us. I ain't going to preach. I could. I could, but I'd probably be in myself. So I'm not going to do it. But I'm going to teach. The first one, he says, feed my lambs. Feed those young ones. Feed them the word of God. Don't feed them corn. Remember, we're talking about fish here. Don't throw them corn. Don't throw them carp bait. Don't throw them anything that's not going to do any good. You feed my lambs. Peter would have known exactly what Jesus was talking to him about. He did know exactly what Jesus was talking about. <clears throat> then the, the next two times he says, feed my sheep. In other words, Peter, you're going to be set over a congregation of people. Mm-hmm. You're, your job, and now listen, Peter still evangelized. All throughout the book of Acts, Peter evangelized. And, and we see that. Oh, yeah. But Jesus was telling him here, he says, you're going to be set over a flock. You're going to have your own congregation. You're going to do these things, and you're going to have to feed the lambs, and those lambs are going to grow up into sheep. Mm-hmm. And he tells them three times, feed my lamb, or once feed my lambs, two times, feed my sheep. One time for each time that Jesus Christ, or that Peter denied Jesus mm-hmm. Christ. He was bringing these things unto Peter's recollection. Yeah. He brought Luke 5 to Peter's recollection. Mm-hmm. I guarantee you that when Jesus Christ was going, when we read this entire account here, Peter was thinking about what happened in Luke chapter 5 as far as those that net, as, long, as far as it dragging the side of the boat down, the net breaking, all these things going on. I guarantee you that went through G, or Peter's mind. 
He's bringing these things to Peter's recollection for a reason, though, because he wants Peter to see, just like he did Mary, we talked about this morning, who he is and what he and what he can do. He wants Peter to see his own commission that he is giving him. What a commission it is. So, uh, verse 18, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, When thou wast young, thou girdest thyself, and walkest whither thou wouldest. But when thou shalt be old, thou shalt stretch forth thy hands, and another shall gird thee, and carry thee whither thou wouldest not. This he spake, signifying by what death he should glorify God. We'll stop reading there, about halfway through that verse. It says, When you were young... You went anywhere you wanted to. What nobody could stop you. And folks, that's Peter's attitude all throughout the Gospels. Nobody can stop me. Nobody tells me what to do. I do what I want to, when I want to. Jesus Christ ain't right but half the time. I mean, I'm telling you what Peter's attitude was. Right after Jesus, or right after Peter told Jesus Christ, "Thou art the Christ, the Son of the Living God," and Jesus told him how great that was, and how uh, how flesh and blood hadn't revealed it to him, but the Father that was in heaven, He said, "I got to go get myself to be crucified here in a little while." Peter, and Peter said, "No, Lord, no, you don't." Right after he had confessed that he was Jesus Christ, the Son of God, that was Peter, and this is Peter now. God is humbling Peter. He's dragging him down. And you read Peter throughout the Gospels. You read him throughout the book of Acts. You get over to First and Second Peter towards the end of the New Testament. You've got a changed man. A man that has been consecrated. A man that, that has been set aside. And a man that God has sanctified over and over and over again. You've got a completely different man in First and Second Peter than what we're reading about now. He's the same man physically. And he's the same man as far as salvation goes, but sanctification, being set aside and God working on us, and putting us on that potter's wheel and, and honing us down and doing what, what the potter does and forming us and fashioning us, that's, that's the Peter that we wound up with in First and Second Peter. And you can really see a transformation of that. But... It says that he spake these things in verse 18. Uh, it says, This he spake signifying by what death he should glorify God. We all know by uh, not only Jewish history, but Christian history as well, that Peter was crucified upside down. He was crucified. That's how he was martyred. For doing what? For preaching Christ and him crucified and him resurrected. That's why he was crucified. And he said, and Peter, the way the, way the story goes, it's not Bible but the way the story goes in Christian and Jewish history alike, says that Peter said, I'm not worthy to be killed or to die in the same manner that my Savior was. And he requested to be crucified upside down instead. And they obliged him. They obliged him with that. Christ here, decades before that happened, telling Peter how he was going to die. He says, when thou wast young, thou girdest thyself, uh, walkest whither thou wouldest, but when thou shalt be old, thou shalt stretch forth thine hands, and, shalt, and another shall gird thee, and carry thee whither thou wouldest not. In other words, when you're old, you're going to stretch forth your hands, like crucifixion pose. Someone else is going to gird you. Someone else is going to tie you, in other words. And they're going to carry you somewhere that you don't want to go. Mm -hmm. Signifying, telling Peter, by what death 
Not that he would suffer. No, that's not the words of Jesus here. Not that he would suffer. Not that he would hurt. But by what death he would glorify God. Folks, it don't matter how much we're persecuted, how much we're looked down upon, how much the world spits at us and mocks at us. What matters is the glorification of Almighty God and the magnification of the name of Jesus Christ. That's what matters. And if that means we be persecuted, then so be it. Let them persecute us. He saved your soul. You should be able to take a little bit of bad talking from somebody. You should be able to take uh, uh, things like that. Peter was crucified upside down. Paul got his head chopped off on Nero's chopping block. I think he was whistling the entire time to the, to the chopping block. I think he was just happy as a lark because he knew where he was going. He knew where he was going. And Jesus had done said, I'm going to show Paul what things he must suffer for my name's sake. So Paul very well could have known what, what, what was coming up. I guarantee he did, you know, a few weeks before, a couple weeks before. But maybe all the way through his ministry. And Paul had a long ministry. Maybe all the way through his ministry he knew what he would suffer and what death he would ultimately die by. We don't know that. The Bible don't say. But it's very possible. This spake he signifying by what death uh, he should glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he saith unto him, follow me. <clears throat> he just told Peter, you're going to be crucified. You're going to be hurt. And you, but this is going to glorify God. He just told Peter, I know how you're going to die, and you ain't going to like it. You're, somebody's going to carry you somewhere you don't want to go. Somebody else is going to gird you. You're going to have to stretch out your hands. He told Peter, you're going to be crucified. Mm -hmm. And the very next words out of his mouth is, follow me. Mm -hmm. Follow me. What was the first words he spoke to Peter? According to Matthew's account, follow thou me. That's Matthew's account. Luke's account's a little bit different, and that's okay. Those are accounts. According to Matthew's account, the first words Jesus spoke to Peter was, follow thou me. The last words he spoke to Peter here, follow me. Follow me. And Peter turning about, seeth the disciple whom Jesus loved, following, which also leaned on his breast at supper and said, Lord, which is he that betrayeth thee? Peter said, Peter, seeing him, saith to Jesus, Lord, and what shall this man do? Jesus saith unto him, If I will that he tarry till I come, what is that to thee? Follow thou me. He had just told Peter, follow me. And what does Peter do? He does exactly what he's always done. He starts worrying about something else, something that's insignificant. He's worried about what John's gonna, how John's going to die or what John's ministry is going to be like. He's worried about someone else, something completely unpertaining to Peter. And Jesus says, what is that to you? What is that to you? Follow thou me. You're not following John. You're not a disciple of John. You're a disciple of Jesus Christ. Follow thou me. Not John. Don't worry about John. Folks, and there's a lot of preachers out there like that. Mm -hmm. I wish I had a room full of them tonight. There's a lot of preachers out there that worry about what other preachers are preaching mm -hmm. or how other preachers preach. Now listen, if they ain't preaching the gospel, call them out on it. If they're preaching a bunch of falsehood 
uh, stuff that ain't going to get people saved or exhort the brethren, call them out on it. They need to be called out on it. I told you all before, it does me no good to tell you there's wolves out there if I don't tell you the names of the wolves. You don't know what to avoid because there's wolves everywhere. Mm-hmm. But you don't know which ones, uh, <coughs> what, what places they're hiding out at if you're not told. But P- Peter here asking Jesus, what about this one? What about John? Folks, don't worry about your brother or sister or what ministry God has called them into. It could be preaching. It could be teaching. It could be singing. It could be a nursing home ministry. I know churches with puppet ministries. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, they go, they go around to nursing homes and, and hospitals and not just for children. They go around for the adults too. And they put on puppet shows for people. And they mm-hmm. use biblical stories to do it. Is that a real ministry? I don't see why it couldn't be. Jesus Christ spoke about the farms. He spoke about animals. He spoke about all kinds of things when he was teaching. Why in the world can't somebody use a puppet to tell somebody about Jesus Christ? Will that get people saved? I guarantee you, you mentioned Jesus Christ. You mentioned the blood. You mentioned repentance. You mentioned salvation. You preach those things, somebody can get saved. Somebody can get saved. Uh, Jesus saith unto him, if I will that he tarry till I come, what is that to thee? Follow thou me. Then went this saying abroad among the brethren, that the disciple should not die, yet Jesus said not unto him, he shall not die. But if I will that he tarry till I come, what is that to thee? Mm-hmm. How quickly things get misconstrued. Mm-hmm. He didn't say John was going to live forever. That's not what he said at all, but that's what, and listen, it wasn't nothing but these seven men that were gathered there with Jesus. It was one of those seven men got that rumor started. Mm-hmm. And if I was a betting man, I'd put my money on Peter <laughs> that got that started because he's the one that asked the question about him, and he's the one that ran his mouth before he ever thought. So, that's right. Every, almost every time Peter... Just open his mouth, shove his foot in, then he'd try and get the other one in. But this was a rumor that was started. And, but that is not what Jesus Christ said. It says he did not say he should not die. He said, uh, uh, but if, if I will that he tarry till I come, what is that to thee? In other words, what he was telling Peter when he said that was, if it is my will that John, that the, the gospel writer John, the disciple John, lives until I return, until I come back, which Jesus had told them he had to ascend to the Father. Ain't that one of the promises he made right here in this very gospel? He said, I, it is expedient that I go away. And when I go away, I will pray the Father and he will send another comforter. Yeah. So they knew he was going to have to go away. Oh, yeah. And these seven would have known that. That he had to do that. This is the disciple, or I'm sorry, if, uh, if I will that he tarry till I come, what is that to thee? If I will it, why do you care, Peter? You follow me. You do what I tell you to do. Let John do his thing. Let John do what I tell him to. Y'all are going to have two completely separate ministries, two completely separate flocks, two completely separate everything. You do what I say. John does what I say, and everybody gets along. Hallelujah. That's basically what Jesus Christ was saying, just in a lot fewer words than what I just did. 
This is the disciple which testifieth of these things and wrote these things, and we know that his testimony is true. Who is the disciple? John, who they were just writing about, the disciple whom Jesus loved. That's who Peter was asking about. He said, what about this one? He says, this is the disciple which testifies of these things. What things? Everything within these 21 chapters. Everything within these. And he also wrote First and Second and Third John. He also wrote the book of Revelation. Y'all might hear me say sometimes, John the Revelator. It's the same John. Oh, yeah. It's a different writing that I'm referring to. But it's the same John. <laughs> but uh, uh, it was John that wrote these things. It says, uh, this is the disciple which testified these things and wrote these things. And we know that his testimony is true. We know that his testimony is true. Everything in these pages, in other words, is true. Whether we believe it or not. Whether any atheist, whether any evolutionist, whether any scientist, whether any, any, any dummy or any smarty wants to believe it or not, that does not discount whether it's true or not. The truth is the truth, regardless of who rejects it. I rejected it for a long time. I didn't make it untrue. It was still true. And, and, and the writer here is testifying of that. And there are also many other things which Jesus did, the which if they should be written, every one, I suppose that even the world itself could not contain the books that should be written. Mm-hmm. Amen. Could not contain the books. Now we already read at the end of chapter 20 that he'd done many other things in front of his disciples, around his disciples, in the presence of his disciples, which weren't written in this book. And I'll tell you what I get out of that. There might have been room for him within the gospel, within John's writings. But to write down everything that Jesus Christ ever ever did in his ministry on this earth, 33 and one-third, 33 and a half years, however long it was, to write down everything in that 33-plus years, Mm -hmm. the world does not have the books that could contain Mm -hmm. that. John's got got a pretty long gospel here. Not, on, not, uh, not necessarily in chapters, but in words mm-hmm. that he wrote. But nevertheless, he says, if, he, if everything was written that Jesus Christ did in his ministry, the world could not contain, the books of the world could not contain what Jesus Christ did. And he ends that with amen. Mm-hmm. Amen being another way to say, oh, or so be it. Yeah. So be it. So be everything within this book. 